We are beginning 2023 with 40 days of prayer. Uh, We began on Sunday. The theme for this week is really prayer as worship. And so when you when you talk about prayer as worship, you, you begin to talk about the the way that you envision God or understand God as you pray to him, as you communicate with him. I don't know if you've ever had that experience of, of someone communicating with you, either wanting something from you or uh, asking something of you or, or speaking to you in such a way that you recognized that that person didn't know you at all, didn't know your values or didn't know your heart or didn't know really much about you as, in terms as a person. When somebody is asking something of you or when someone is speaking to you and they are actually violating your personality, your things you hold dear, it, it's an uncomfortable conversation. It is definitely not an intimate conversation. And so as we are coming to God in prayer, he has revealed in his word what he values. He reveals in his word his heart, his will. And so as we pray, and if we want to be effective in our prayers, we have to understand the very character and the heart of the God that we're praying to. And so in our, our, our devotion, which we're, we're linking with the Christian and Missionary Alliance, which we are a part of, and the 40 days of prayer uh, devotional that they're doing, today's focus is, is on He is holy. And when you pray, you're praying to a God who is holy. And uh, the scripture verse for today is Exodus 15, verse 11. Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, glorious in holiness? fearful in praises, doing wonders. And in the devotional, the writer said this way as she concluded on this passage, she says, as we anticipate the new beginning he is writing for us this year, we can trust in his ever faithful hand on our lives. We can choose to praise him with a victory song in the here and now, knowing full well there is no one like our God who among the gods is like you, Lord, who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders. So in a way, what what we're saying is that if your approach to God is not characterized by this knowledge of God, who he is and what he has done, then, then the prayers will be rather flat. They will be rather lacking in intimacy. Now, where does this passage come from? Well, this is part of the song of Moses. This is a song that Moses sang when the Lord delivered the Israelites from an impossible situation. And and so this is an awesome place for us to focus because there are times in our life where it feels like we've, we've been led to or we've We've arrived at a place of impossibility. The Israelites 
had left Egypt. They had come to the to the Red Sea, and there was no way to cross, particularly with the hundreds of thousands of people and all their possessions and everything else. How were they going to get across? There was no way across the Red Sea. And as they looked behind them, there was no way back. They couldn't go back because they saw the the dust clouds of Pharaoh's chariots and his army. So in front of them was an impossible uh, passage, and behind them was certain death because they had embarrassed the, the biggest empire, the most powerful empire on the face of the earth. But here, what we see is nothing is impossible for our God. They walked across on dry land. They got to the other side. And the very waters that they had crossed became the waters that surrounded Pharaoh's chariots and his mighty army and destroyed them completely to where there was no more a threat to the Israelites. You see, the Egyptians did not know God. But the Egyptians overestimated their own power. They have estimated their own strength as being enough, sufficient. And they underestimated the heart of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who had said, let my people go. Now, yesterday we were making this contrast that in Proverbs 18, in verse 10, it says, It says uh, that we have this strong tower in the Lord and the righteous run into it and they are safe. And, And then it says in verse 11, well, the rich have a strong tower too, but they believe their wealth to be the walls that are unscalable. And it's a contrast there. It's a contrast saying every single person has a tower they run to when they are threatened. They have a tower they run through to when they, they need strength. And it says, it says, though, there that the only tower whose walls cannot be breached are the one who runs into the very arm of the Lord, into the very heart of our God. Now, Pharaoh thought, He had an unscalable wall. He was the most powerful man on earth. His army was the most powerful army. He was certain that his walls were unscalable. And yet, the horse and the rider, as the song of Miriam then goes, the horse and the rider were thrown into the sea. And so you see, you know, it comes back again to this issue. And and it comes to this issue of why we pray. We, we pray because we're running to our tower. We're running to our security. We're running to our source when we pray. So worship then is, in this vein, worship comes from confidence. Confidence that the Lord is our strong tower and, and that the Lord is the place where we are safe. And so this song of Moses is a, It's a song of confidence, but it's also a proclamation, which I think this is important. 
It's a proclamation of God's supremacy over anything else that claims to be God. It's interesting, if you follow the story of the Exodus, Israel soon forgot this moment. They soon forgot their strong tower. They soon forgot that the righteous run into it and they are safe. But rather, often, they would completely forget. But we don't have to forget. It goes on in the song song of uh, Moses, and it says, The Lord shall reign forever and ever. You see, after such a great victory, you have this sense that even though Moses is singing the song, the people are with him at this moment. They believe him because they've seen the mighty Egyptian army destroyed. They've seen the sea, which was impossible to cross, be crossed on dry land. And at that moment, they were ready to let the Lord reign over them. The problem for them is that that state of victory did not last very long. And since that sense of victory did not last very long because there were other challenges on the way, there were more obstacles. There were more places where they had to exercise faith. The state of their victory, the state of their surrender did not last very long. But it is a fascinating thing that this enduring truth remains and will remain forever, that the Lord shall reign forever and ever. The Song of Moses actually echoes this song that we're looking at, just a tiny portion of. But the Song of Moses echoes all the way to the book of Revelation, where a multitude who has come from a great suffering has experienced great victory, and they stand on the shores of a great sea, and they sing this song. And this is what Revelation says. They sing the Song of Moses the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are your works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you, for your judgments have been manifested. See, there's a fickleness to people's faith. There's, the, there's the, the one side of it that the Egyptians underestimated the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God who sent Moses as a deliverer. You and I live in a world that does not know the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. They, do not, they, do not, they overestimate their own wealth and they underestimate his heart. But the very song that was sung at the defeat of the enemies of the people of God at the the Red Sea is the same song that is sung when all of the enemies of our Lord Jesus Christ are put down and are dealt with. And the ultimate victory comes, the consummation of our king taking back his rightful throne over this earth, the same song is sung because the same truth that was true at the Red Sea will still be true at the end of this age. And that is the Lord shall reign forever and ever. Now the question is, will your faith be fickle in that? Or will your faith be enduring? Will you know him and understand him in such a way that whether 
whether you're faced with an impossible situation or you're faced with your past and bad decisions or whatever it might be that you say, but my hope and my trust is in the Lord who reigns forever. The heart, the spirit of this song of Moses rings true in the people of God at the end of the age, just as it rang true as they crossed the Red Sea. And it can be true for you and me right now because our desire can be, Lord, my faith is in what you've already done and my hope is in what you will what we, you will surely do. The horse and the rider will, will always be thrown into the sea. The enemies of our God will always be put down because our God reigns supreme. And so there's, there's a need for you and I in this in-between time, between the time of the deliverance at the Red Sea and the time when we will stand on the shore and sing the song of Moses again together and the song of the Lamb together, the song of the redeemed together. There is a need right now for us by faith to praise him and to thank him, not only for what he has done, but for what he will do. This song comes as a, as a, as a, as a proclamation a declaration, an announcement that our God is a God of deliverance. Our God is a God of victory. Our God is a God of defense, worthy of our confidence. Spurgeon said it this way, It is obvious then from the plentiful allusions to this song in Holy Scripture that it is full of deep spiritual significance. It teaches us not only to praise God concerning the literal overthrow of Egypt, but to praise him concerning the overthrow of all the powers of evil and the final deliverance of all his chosen ones. Now this word holy is so important in the scripture and it's such an essential understanding of the very heart of our God. So the, the Hebrew word for holy is kadosh and the Greek word is hagios. In both cases, the meaning of the word is separateness, or literally to be set apart. So it is a separateness from, or a set apart from, anything that would be unholy or unclean. And in the scriptures, any encounter with God was both an awesome thing and a dreadful thing. But if you think about how, particularly in Isaiah's case, where he sees the holiness of God and he feels like he's a man undone, you see the effect of it. It's not that he wants, (laughs) he wants that encounter. He wants to see the face of God just as Moses wanted to see the face of God. But it is such a dreadful thing because the holiness of God is so separate from our own unholiness and our own uncleanness. And so any encounter with God that you see, particularly in the Old Testament, produced awe and dread. And even in the case of uh, Isaiah, where he says, woe is me, I'm a man of unclean lips from a people of unclean lips, and I've seen the Lord. And they they take a coal and they... 
and they have to cleanse him. They have to separate him from his own uncleanness. They have to separate him from his own community as he's in the presence of the holiness of God. See, God, all his attributes are true and they're true at all times. He, he is never apart from any of his attributes. He can't be divided from his attributes. But it is significant that when he is spoken of as holy, it is repeated three times. Holy, holy, holy. This just underlines the utter purity of our God. And uh, when you look at that and you understand that, it began, you begin to realize this is not someone that you can just be contemptuous with. It's not someone you can just be flippant with. You're entering into his presence. You're entering into... And it's important to realize that... <clears throat> Part of the change of the New Testament, part of the benefits and blessings of being a New Testament Christian, is that this holy God, who became fully human and took on our sin on the cross, became a curse for us, has now invited us through the blood of Jesus, through the, the sacrifice of Jesus, has invited us into intimate communion with him. To be, to be able to speak to him face to face, to be able to say, not Lord and King or God when we address him, but actually to address him as Abba, Daddy. That is an amazing reality. In some ways, if you don't grasp the depths of his holiness, you'll never be quite as amazed as you should be by this grace that is shown to us. See, because I am in Christ, I am treated as Christ. Because I am in Christ, I'm loved as Christ. I'm treated as righteous as Christ. And so I'm not coming in prayer on the basis of my holiness, which would never be adequate. I would, I, any of us would be like Isaiah. We would be, woe is me to be in the presence of the holiness of God. But because of Jesus and because of his righteousness given to my account, imputed to my account, I can enter into the most holy place and I'm accepted there. And I can come with boldness to the throne of grace and I can ask anything in his name. It's an amazing, amazing grace that we have. It is, not, it is not a merited grace. This is why sometimes when people treat prayer like it's a work that gets wages or a work that gets rewards, that's a misunderstanding of prayer. If, it, if, it's, if it's a meritorious work, then it's not grace. But if I, if I recognize how holy God is and how awesome this privilege is to be able to speak to my father as a son or you be able to speak to your father as a daughter, then you begin to realize, wow, I know how holy he is, or at least I have some inkling of how holy he is, and yet I am ushered into his presence and I can enter in with boldness he is holy. There is none like our God. Here, here is a statement that I want to close on that I think is, 
I think it's helpful for this. When we turn to God in prayer, either as a community or, or as an individual, we are doing something that is holy. Now, I mean, I have people ask all the time, does prayer work? Can I get this answer? How do I, how do I pray so I can get my answer? And again, I, I would say to you, that is a completely bad uh, approach. Because it's an approach saying, if I work it just right, if I have just the right formula, then, then I'm going to get the answers. And that, what that's saying is, I'm just coming to God to get the blessing. I'm not seeking his face. I'm just seeking what he can do for me. And God is never fooled by that. It's not that he doesn't often, in his grace, uh, answer prayers that are badly prayed. But at some point, he's going to say, child, I want you to grow up. I want you to understand who you're talking to. And I want you to understand how to talk to me. And so a big part of this is if you understand that God is holy, which means he's separate, he's set apart from anything that's unclean, then then what you understand, what you're doing when you're praying is you're setting yourself apart. You're separating yourself to God. Your separate prayer is a separating from a situation or person. It's separating yourself from this world and its cares, and you're setting yourself apart for God. It's also a really interesting uh, truth in the Old Testament that anything that was set apart for God was holy to God. So if you know, you could have. Uh, uh, a simple piece of furniture in the temple, a table. But if it's set apart for God's holy use, and that table was holy. It still was made out of wood or gold or whatever it might be, which were earthly materials. But now, because it's devoted to God, it becomes holy to God. And I think prayer is a way that we begin to take our ordinary lives, our ordinary circumstances, our needs, our wants, our desires, and we separate ourselves unto God. And then there is, that is not only a holy activity, but we become holy in that activity. It separates us. It sets us apart. It says, I'm not, I'm not mastered by this world. I'm not mastered by my circumstances but I'm setting myself apart for the one who is worthy to be my master. See, if if we understand it that way, then prayer isn't simply, let me figure out how to get what I need from God. Because actually what I'm saying is what I need is to get God. And prayer changes in such a way because it becomes not just an activity, it becomes holy. See, we're making a conscious connection, separating ourselves unto God. We're making a conscious connection to the source of holiness, which is God himself. The life of prayer is the habit of being in the presence of the thrice holy God. And that incredible, awesome privilege of being in communion with him. So when we pray, it is holy. Whatever the results end up being, whatever the answers end up being, the action of separating yourself alone has value. You're separating yourself from this unclean world 
You're setting yourself apart. You're saying, I'm not my circumstances. I'm not my past. I belong to God, and that which belongs to God is holy unto God. You talk about implications of that for your identity, your worth, your value, your sense of acceptance, your confidence. But part of what I'd like you to get today is the song of Moses, is your song. He is worthy of praise because he's holy. He's the Lord who reigns forever. Whatever impossible circumstance you find yourself in, whatever difficulty chasing you after you, take your stand today in the song of Moses or even the song of Miriam, which follows, where the horse and the rider is thrown into the sea. I will sing unto the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider thrown into the sea. Impossible is never impossible with our God. Let's pray together. Lord, we are taking these days to focus on you, to worship you. There is no other like our God. Worthy, glorious, holy. And Lord, one of my favorite aspects of your holiness that I've seen and understood is, is it is your beauty. You are beautiful to behold. And so, Lord, we behold your beauty. We thank you that we don't have to be afraid because Jesus has become sin for us so that we who, we who were only sin are now the righteousness of God in him. So, Lord, we can approach with boldness. So we sing again that song of Moses that we will sing on our last days that the Lord reigns forever and ever and reigns in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.